For Arizona Public Media, I'm Tim Swindle, Director of the University of Arizona Space Institute, and this is Arizona Science. Joining me today is Jesse Little, an Associate Professor of Aerospace and Mechanical Engineering at the University of Arizona, and an expert in hypersonics. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks, Tim. I'm glad to be here. Jesse, when you talk about hypersonics, you're talking about something like aerodynamics, but at much higher speeds. Is that the idea? That's correct. We're typically defining hypersonics as things traveling uh, more than five times the speed of sound. In that case, we start to have issues with things that are less like aerodynamics and more like temperature. In low speed flight or commercial flight, even low supersonic flight, we're concerned about aerodynamics and the load on the structure. For hypersonics, we get really concerned about the heat. How is so much heat generated in hypersonics? Where does that come from? Heat generation comes from the interaction of the structure with the surrounding air. So the air is now moving so fast that it's no longer a cooling problem, it's a heating problem. This is very different than sticking your, your hand out your car window where you feel a cooling effect. As you go to a higher and higher speeds, this is no longer a cooling effect. This becomes a very, very hot environment. And what influences how much heat you're going to have? The altitude of the flight has a big influence on the heat. Things are generally hotter at lower altitudes, especially at sea level as they fly fast. The speed is also a big driver. So when we talk about hypersonics, again, we're talking about Mach numbers greater than five. And the higher and higher that Mach number becomes, the more and more heat we have to deal with. Do you actually have wind tunnels that go up to Mach 5? Indeed, we have uh, a pair of large-scale wind tunnels that go to Mach 5 that allow us to investigate this problem. And we have to couple these with people who do things like high-temperature materials and other types of testing. So hypersonics is a very multidisciplinary field. What's the trick to getting a wind tunnel to produce air going at Mach 5? You need a, uh, a nozzle of a certain shape, and then really you just need a lot of air. Uh, and that's really been one of the uh, big things that we've invested in recently in the college is, is adding an additional air supply to allow us to run these very high-speed flows. What are the cases where hypersonics can be used? In many cases, these are military applications. Uh, there's also growing interest in the commercial sector. There are certain industries that are interested in creating a commercial hypersonic vehicle for commercial flight. Now, the only commercial supersonic vehicle, I believe, was the Concorde, and that didn't come close to the speeds you're talking about, correct? Correct. That's correct. The Concorde was significantly lower, I think around Mach 2, and uh, this would essentially be much higher if it were to go hypersonic. Why are people worrying more about hypersonics now? In the past, the U.S. was really the national leader in hypersonics, but uh, after the Cold War, much of the U.S. investment in this area went to other places. I can use my own research as an example. The type of work that I do, you can follow in the literature of many, many publications from the 80s and early 90s, and then a complete absence of publications in a certain area. And that has now been reinvigorated with the recent interest in hypersonics. And this is really driven by uh, uh, geopolitical factors where other nations have invested significant amounts of money into the development of hypersonics. And the US has now found itself in second or third place. How did you get interested in hypersonics? Well, that's an interesting question. I was actually uh, educated more in low-speed flows associated with commercial vehicles. And then as I uh, debunked my career here at the University of Arizona, I started collaborating with some experts in my department who did hypersonics and 
we ended up responding to a national call for uh, research in the area and we're quite successful. And, and over the last four or five years, we've really developed a lot of activity in hypersonics in my department. At what are you going next with this? We've recently made some significant investments in our hypersonic capabilities at the University of Arizona, uh, in particular related to some of our wind tunnel testing efforts. We've had a substantial investment from the university, uh, state and the Department of Defense on the order of uh, over $10 million to upgrade our wind tunnel facilities to allow us to do hypersonics work that is really more relevant to applied research. So it's no longer just a basic research problem where uh, universities have lived for, for many, many years. We're now able to collaborate with the government and also companies like Raytheon to do system level testing that will allow us to really impact the development of hypersonic technologies. Thanks for joining us, Jesse, and good luck with your research. Thank you, Tim. This is Tim Swindle, and this has been Arizona Science. Our guest today has been Jesse Little talking about hypersonics. You can also listen to this and other Arizona science segments by going to the Arizona Public Media website at azpm.org.